Good morning, church. How are you doing? That guy looks like he wants some questions answered. So over the next five weeks, what we're going to do is I'm going to answer some of the questions that we as a church are asking. And by the way, I have a little bit of time. So if there's a question that you want answered, just go ahead and uh, either write it on one of the cards and make sure it gets to uh, our guest services team, or you can email it to me. It's james at camelback.cc. And if you forget that, you can probably just go to the website and it'll somehow connect you with, with me. So do that and send your question in and I'll be uh, diving into this. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to the next uh, next five or, or six weeks that as we stop and, and look at um, answers to some of the questions that uh, are important to us. Now, in getting ready, I, I certainly had to do some research and uh, I, I, I came up with a few questions that I, I thought were interesting, um, not questions that I'm going to answer, but um, the first one was this, why do we press harder on the remote when we know that the battery is dead? Then there's another one that caught my eye, and, and I, I don't know about you ladies, but I, I think for us guys, this one, this one caught us. Why can't women put on mascara with their mouth closed? <laughs> then, I, then I went to a whole other category, and we have, a, we have on our campus, we have Camelback Academy. Camelback Academy starts out at kindergarten, goes all the way through middle school. This group of middle schoolers is a lot of fun sometimes, all week long, we, 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 our church staff interacts with middle schoolers here on campus. So I, I looked for a couple of, these were absolutely true questions that middle schoolers asked their teachers. First one was this, why are those pyramid-shaped things in Egypt, no, what? What are those pyramid-shaped things in Egypt called? And, and then another one that a middle schooler asked was, when the snow melts, where does all the white go? I, 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 uh, uh, the, the, the rest of them I didn't want to read to you, but, but those I, I, pu I pulled out. I, I, w I want us to stop and, and look at, and I'm not going to give you my opinion because my opinion is only worth my opinion. But we're going to go back to Scripture and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. And today the subject is, is what are we living in the end times? Or how far away are the end times? Or when is Jesus going to return? And the Bible actually has a lot to say about that. And we live in our, in our world and we think about the natural, natural disasters that we see. We, we think about the disasters that we see that are, that are, uh, that are launched by, uh, by, by a segment of a religion. And we, we see moral decay in our country, culture, uh, country and in our culture. And, and, and we, we think that, that we, we, we have got to be sometimes right up at the ends. And so I want to look at what the Bible has to say about that. And the Bible has a lot to say specifically about when Christ returns and the end times. As a matter of fact, there, there's about one in 30 verses are on either of these two subjects. And the New Testament has over 300 references to either the end times or Christ's return. 
So the Bible has a lot to say about it. Out of 27 of the New Testament books, 23 of them specifically talk about this. Revelation is all about this subject. But if you get to Revelation, it's too late. So you should have read this beforehand and you don't want to be dealing with it from the after perspective. Even Jesus' disciples asked Jesus this question. And, and look what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 24. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And in other words, we're, we're, we're your friends, so you can, you can tell us. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? If you're taking notes, you're going to want to underline that word, underline when. When will this happen? And what? Underline that word what too. What will be the sign of your coming? And the end of the age. They wanted to know the answer to the question. When? When's it going to happen? So what time is it going to happen? And, and what's, what's going to happen? So how are we going to know that we're there? And Jesus takes this whole chapter, 24, and he digs into this, and, and he talks about it. If you ask me, are we living in end times, or, or, or is Jesus coming soon? Could be. That's my best answer. Every generation before us has thought that they might be the generation. Peter, over 2,000 years ago, was convinced that he was living in the end times. And the truth of the matter is, he was for him. Because he didn't have very long after he wrote that. And as I, as I dig into this subject, and, I, and I'll reach back into to my life. I mean, I grew up in church. I've heard tons of messages about this. I, I've heard all kinds of perspectives on it. And none of them very weird or strange. But uh, there's, there's this lifelong fluid conversation about end times and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So many people thought up to the point of just after World War II that, that the nation of Israel again becoming a nation. See, after World War II in 1948, Israel once again became a nation. And that was one of the major prophecies that a lot of Bible teachers pointed to and said, wow, Israel's a nation. Now this must be end time." We must be near the second returning of Christ. And Jesus, in this chapter 24, he, he digs in on this subject. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes a comment. He says, this gospel will be preached everywhere. I'm not coming back until this gospel is preached to every nation. Well, that's not too hard because you can count the number of nations on the planet, right? And every one of them, the gospel has been taken to those nations. But when you look, at, look more closely at, at, that, at that passage of Scripture and in the original language, it talks about every tribe and tongue, every people group. And there are so many more languages beyond what, those, what the nations of the world have. And for years, that has become the last thing. But in our day, in our digital world, so much has happened so fast. Bible college was four years. Now the four years of Bible college can be put on a little chip, the whole thing in its entirety. 
And see, we would, we would send a missionary to school for four years and, and they, they would learn and then they would go through training and then they would raise funds and then we would send them out to one of these people groups and it would take them several years to develop themselves there and build relationships and several more years just to begin to learn the language and, and then probably about four more years to translate Scripture into that language. And now digitally, we can accomplish this so much faster. And Bible scholars are telling us that almost every group on the planet, we are approaching the time where almost every group on the planet has enough of God's Word in their native tongue so that the words of Jesus are fulfilled. So our we living in end times? There's really only one thing that I can point to, possibly two, but certainly one that maybe hasn't happened. And I just don't want to spend time this morning to get into it, but there's a thing in Revelation that has to happen where, where Revelation says, and all the world will see it happen. That has never been possible before our day. It has never been possible before satellite television and the world as we know it. I was in Argentina when the planes hit the World Trade Center. In Argentina, I was watching it on cable television. And that's almost 20 years ago. The, the world as we know it is so different. I want, I want to look with you at what Peter has to say. I want to look at you this morning. We'll look at some of Peter's words, some of Jesus' words, and I can't possibly teach a message without looking at what Paul has to say about something. So let's look at Peter here. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died... Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. And the earth was formed out of the water and by the water. Peter's saying, hold it. Let, let's step back and look at this clearly. Everything that we're looking at the heavens, the earth that we live in, and all that it has, God created it by speaking it into existence. He's getting their attention. He said, wait a minute, you're forgetting something. Water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, he's talking about the flood, and science has proven that. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. In other words, what, what he did with water, he will someday do again with fire, being kept for the day of judgment. That's why everybody wants to know, are we in end times? Because we're so concerned about the day of judgment. As believers, here's the deal. You have to finish the sentence. The day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. As believers, this doesn't matter to us. 
Because that does not include believers. And Peter's pointing that out. He's saying, look, this is all a reality. Then he goes on. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Peter's saying, you've got to remember, you think it's taken him a long time. God is not limited to time. For him, a day and a thousand years, it, 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 he's not, those constraints are not on him. Peter makes this, this argument, and he interrupts them with some truth. Now, there's an interesting concept right here. Um, Jewish scholars, a lot of Jewish scholars believe that the world, they believe in a seven-day world. In other words, they they believe in this concept that that there's this seven-day world, and really that means 7,000 years is what it means, because a day is like 1,000 years. And and a lot of Jewish scholars just latch on to this. As a matter of fact, here's what they believe. They think that the first 4,000 years between Adam and And Jesus, that's 4,000 years. That's what we refer to as B.C., okay? That's one segment of time. And then the next segment of time is is the the point that Jesus came into today. Well, that's about 2,000 years. So you're probably thinking 4,000 years, 2,000 years, this is 6,000 years. We We got plenty of time. But what you're not thinking about is those 6,000 years lead up to the millennium, which is 1,000 years, which the Bible talks about that Jesus will reign for 1,000 years on the earth. That's 6,000 years. You put all that together, there there really isn't any time left. So you say, James, is that true? I don't know. But that's what a lot of Jewish scholars believe. Peter picks it up again and he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Then I want you to hear this. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. This is what we have to hear. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. This focus is the heart of our God. This is the perspective of life. We like to get, we like to latch on to theology. There are different theologies that we lean in the direction of Armenian theology, Calvinistic theology, and some of us want to even lean hard into predestination with Calvinistic theology. God has destined every person to be saved. That's the heart of God. It's His desire that every person be saved. Now, is every person going to be saved? No. He gives us free will. But if you think that you can figure out when he's coming back, here's what I want you to listen to. Look look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. In other words, it's going to happen like that. 
and, and we think that we're going to figure it out. Out of this passage of Scripture, Peter gives us three things. Jesus gives us the same three things. And Paul, when he chimes in, he really gives us the same three things. So I want you to write these down. We learn from Peter that, that people will be distracted with life. They won't even know what's happening. They will be distracted. They'll be following their own appetites, he says. They'll be doing what they think they want to do. And their focus will be on this world. They won't even be thinking about what time is it. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way. He says, your life is like a vapor. A vapor. It's like a mist. See, see, the, the world will go on forever. And this window of time that you and I have here, see, you, you want to know, are we living in the last days? Yes, you are. You're living in your last days because you only have this window of time. I only have this. When you're young, you have your whole life ahead of you. You're, you're pretty convinced you are anyway. You have your whole life ahead of you. But then as you get older, the older you get, the more you start to think about how much time you have left. When you reach 50 years old, you start thinking differently than you did when you were 40. And when you're 40, you're standing there saying, oh my God, I'm 40. To which everybody older than you is just laughing because the years just keep marching. And we get distracted with life. James says, listen, your life is really just like this. And time is going to go on forever. God's building a family. And time will go. Where you spend that time is a whole, a whole other story. But life will go on. You were designed for forever. And James says, this is just a mist. It's a vapor. It's like you put the teapot on the stove and it's gotten hot enough and this puff of steam comes out. That's the analogy James is making. This little puff comes out. Does God want us to enjoy life? Absolutely. He's given us so many things for us to enjoy. We are unbelievably privileged just in this country alone. Matter of fact, we're spoiled. He wants us to enjoy life. But he wants us to remember we're just passing through. And Jesus goes to this in chapter 24. Look what he says. In this passage, as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus actually points back to what Peter was talking about. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. They were having a good time. They were only focused on the things they wanted to do. Marrying and giving in marriage. What does that mean? Look at what Hollywood does with marriage. That's what it means. They were married to someone, it could be a month, it could be a week, it could be two years, it could be five years. You know what? I'm ready for somebody else. And then they move on to the next person. And that was life at the time of Noah, Jesus is saying. Up to the day, Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of of the Son of Man. He's saying, just like it happened with Noah, it's going to happen exactly like that again when Jesus returns. Very clear, simple analogy. 
They're watching Noah build this monstrosity. Nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever built a boat before. There had never been a flood before. There had never been rains like this before. They were not even thinking about it. People will be distracted with life, and people will forget about God. Number two in your notes. People will forget about God. Now, this all sounds dismal. It's, it sounds kind of discouraging, would you not say? Well, let me give you some good news. Jesus also talks a lot about the fact that in the last days, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There will be times when you will think God himself has come down because he has and, and lived in his people. And God is, there, there are things happening around us and on our planet that, that even point to this now. The gospel is growing more rapidly around the world than it ever has before in most places. I can remember growing up in church. I was 10, maybe 12 years old. We had missionaries coming to our church. And they would share stories with us and things that they were doing so that they could smuggle Bibles into China. Because you couldn't be a Christian in China. You would get arrested and taken to jail, possibly even put to death. Sounds like the early church, doesn't it? You, you could not live a life as a Christian in China. And our church and other churches like our churches, we were, we were giving we were giving sacrificially so that they could smuggle Bibles into China because people who were believers were living their faith underground and they were persecuted. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith and, and their faith grew and the body of Christ grew. Two years ago, the last statistic that I could find in China today, 1.3 billion people. Out of 1.3 billion people, 9.8% of them are believers living their lives and following Christ in China. That's 10% of 1.8 billion people. Other places on the planet, God is doing things. What about America? That's a mixed bag of tricks. There are churches that are closing and withering away. And there are many churches that are flourishing, launching, and growing. Our church is a part of the ark. We give every single month to the ark. Over the last 18 years, the ark has, we have launched, we've been a part of launching 850 churches. 850 church plants. You know what that deserves? It deserves more than an amen. It deserves a hand clap for what God is doing in our planet. And while some churches are withering and closing, because maybe they're just spiritually bankrupt, God is pouring life into others. But there's a statistic that I want you to see. Look at this with me. The builders. This is my dad's generation. Coming back from World War II. Born between 27 and 45. 1900 that is. 65% of them were Bible believing. 
The basis of their belief was the Bible. They believed it. The next generation is my generation, the boomers. 35% of my generation were Bible-based believers. Then let's look at the builders, or busters rather. This is actually Karen's generation. 65 to 83, 16% of that generation were Bible-based. Do you see a trend here? Do you see a trend in our nation? Millennials. 4% of millennials are Bible-based believers. 4%. What does that say to you and what does that say to me? You know what it says to me? We need to do everything as a, as, as a church that we can to pour into our children's ministry and pour into our student ministry. And, and we, we, need, we need to take what we believe deep down inside of us and, and we need to live it. And if we live it, then the next generation will recognize. The, the reason that we are at 4% millennials is because we as believers, I recognize this as a, generation, a generalization, we as believers have not lived out our faith in the way that we talked about living out our faith. So what we need to do is we need to do that. And we need to do everything that we can. Listen, <laughs> listen. And I was, you, you should have heard me talking to the first service. Some of us don't like the haze and the lights and, and, and the word. We're an older group of people. And, 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 and we could actually, here's the deal. We could do without that. But here's what I know about our church. Here's what I know about the older generation in our church we're okay with it we can we can we can we can live with it we can actually get comfortable with it. we can actually go through go through a change where we accept it and we are allowing it to be a part of us Do you know why because the next generation is that important to us we can't change the message, but we must change the method. And to all of you who are from my generation, for all of you who are beyond the whole haze and lights thing, thank you for coming along with us. Thank you for being willing to say, yes, I'm in. Thank you for staying and being a part of that church and continuing to give your tithe because you are the anchor of what is making it happen. Jesus said people will forget about God. They'll, they'll forget about God. In this same chapter 24, in verse 12, look what he says. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And we see that. We see the internet. We see our culture. We see so much of that happen. And what we need to do is we need to be awake. And we need to be aware. And we need to be genuine. And that's who we are as a church. And you're not, you're not hearing me blasting at a church family because we're not doing this. We're doing this as a church. 
We're being faithful as a church. We're, as many kids that are willing to go, we'll pay the bill for them to go. And we'll sit back and we'll watch a relationship with Christ go to a whole new level. Number three, people will be ready. People will not be ready. When this happens, people will not be ready for his return. Jesus goes on. He gives examples, and he, and he says it in ways that they can easily understand it. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding in a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. In our day, he would say, two people will be riding a car. One will be taken, the other left. I think that's why most of you women let your husbands drive the car. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. Jesus says, you want to know what time it is? You don't need to know what time it is. What you need to know is what to do with the time that you have. That's what you need to know. And that's where we are as a church. In verse 36, he says, about the day or the hour. He, he finally, he gives them this for their time answer. He says, about the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the, he gives them such clarity here, they can't screw this up. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. I don't even know, Jesus said. You're asking me. I don't know. But only the Father knows. You know, every once in a while, we, we've watched people come forward and they say they know the date that the world's going to end or they know the date that Christ comes. I'm telling you, when that happens, you ought to go to Vegas no matter what the odds are and put a ton of money on the fact that that guy is wrong. Because you're going because Jesus said no one knows. If for some reason they happen to guess the right date, who cares? You're gone. They're never going to collect the money from you. Just buy in on this. See, the Bible doesn't tell us the time, but it does tell us a lot about what our life should look like. Oh, it gives us all of that. So what should we do? Number one, we should think clearly, Peter said. Think clearly. The end of all things is near, and he said this 2,000 years ago. And it was true for him, because his end was near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you may pray. Be clear-minded and have self-control so that you may pray. He tells us the same things that Jesus tells us and the same things that Paul tells us. Pray, stay clear-minded. See, we look at the world around us, and this is the real world to us. And we need to keep one eye on this real world. But you know what happens when you begin to pray? There is a whole other real world out there that you become more aware of. And you become clear-minded in both worlds. And that's why Peter's pointing to this. Because when you... When, you, when you're praying, you're clear-minded already, but the more you pray, you become clear-minded in both worlds. Over and over again, I say it to our church family, be clear-minded because the way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you act, and the, word, the way you act 
determines what you do. It all starts with clear thinking. Why am I talking about clear thinking? 62% of Americans believe that Jesus is coming again. 62% of Americans, they believe that Christ is coming again, but only 8% live like he's coming again. Do you believe he's coming again? Well, sure I do. Are you ready? Well, I haven't thought about that. Listen to Paul, and let me give it to you in the, the Message Bible. Stick with me, friends, Paul says. And this is in the Message. In, in, in the NIV and the, and the New American Standard, Paul actually, it, it actually, Paul is presented as one who is at the point of almost crying in the conversation he's having with them. Stick with me, dear friends. Keep track of those uh, you see running the same course headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. And then he says, I've warned you of them many times. Paul is feeling this deep in his gut. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross. But easy street is a dead-end street. In other words, taking the easy road is never the easy road. Those who live there make it their, <laughs> those who live there make their bellies their gods. And belches are their praise. I love that. All they can think of is their appetites. Then Paul goes on, but there's far more to life for us. This is who we are, church. There's far more for life, uh, to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under him and around him. That's what he's doing. And he will do it. In other words, he's saying, wear this life like a loose jacket. Wear this life just like you would put on a loose jacket because you're a citizen of heaven. You're just passing through here. This world is not our home. We live our lives thinking it is. I got to tell you, I, 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 was, I was so tempted. Do you know how many funerals I do a year? I was tempted to just start to go through names this morning of people that we buried last year. Last year, this time, Clint was sitting right here with us. David was sitting right here with us. After the service and before the services, I would have had conversations with both of them. The list goes on. It's a loose jacket. Number two, focus on relationships. Focus on Get in a life group. Focus on relationships. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why should we focus so much on people? Because as you and I look around this room and around our lives, the only thing that's going to be in heaven is people. Only thing. Nothing else is going. None of it's going. You can go ahead and love your car. I love my car. I want a better one. But it's not going. When you get relationships 
and your life right, you've figured life out. Number three, make my life matter. In other words, join the dream team. Over 130 people every month here in our church are serving on the dream team, serving others. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You say, but James, I'm not gifted. Yes, you are. Everybody's a 10 in something. We are all gifted. When God created you, he created you with the ability to do something that will make a difference. That's what he did. Serve others. See, here's the deal. God has grace. He has grace. And he wants people to have his grace. And you and I are the vehicle to get his grace to other people. Through the gifts that he did. You say, well, I have no gifts. Listen, you know how to run a camera. Everything that happens in this service happens because people are serving. Our sound team, some people on cameras, people who have said, I'm going to come to a service and go to a service, but then I'm also going to come to a service and I'm going to serve in that service. Such a huge deal. Use our gifts in children's ministries, in student ministries. Now, if you've got a warped idea of some area, if you show up in our children's ministry and you've got a roll of duct tape, we'll, we'll probably have a talk with you. We'll, we'll probably say, maybe this isn't the area for you. But God has given every one of us. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. You know why? Guys, we are living in the greatest generation. I'm convinced of that. We have been placed here by God. And God is at work in our... His, he is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. More people have come to Christ since 2000. Listen to this. More people have come to Christ since the year 2000, than all of the other years combined. God is using technology and so many other things in ways we never dreamed of. Islam was founded in 700 AD. Over 1,300 years, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ has made zero impact into Islam. Starting at 2000 forward, every, every single year in the nine different branches of Islam, over, it has been in the millions every single year have come to Christ. The difference is God is moving. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And while we can get so focused and we live so unbelievably blessed in America, so unbelievably comfortable in America. God is at work in our world, and he's moving. And what are we going to do as a church? We're going to continue to do what we're doing. We're going to stay engaged and involved. We're going to give. We're going to serve. We're going to pour our lives into following Christ. And we are going to be the bride that he desires to come back for. Let's stand together. Let me pray with you.
Father, thank you so much for loving us, for caring for us. Thank you for being willing to transform us from what we were to what you are making us. And as we, your church, this morning, understand clearly that it only matters so much where we are in time. But what matters to a huge deal is what we are doing with our times. And as we pour our lives into that, and as you intentionally, through us, reach the lives of those around us, and if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you have that opportunity this morning simply by just believing that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for your sins. And by believing that, you move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. The Spirit of Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you and everything is different from this day forward all the way through eternity. Lord, thank you for that. Bless our church, bless our team as we worship this morning. In your name we pray, amen.